G'day, my name is Jeff. It's my privilege to do what we always do this Mission Sunday, and that is to look together at God's Word, to read it, think about what it means and how it applies to us. Can I encourage you to have a Bible open in front of you so we can look together? We're looking at Luke chapter 9, verse 51. 9.51 is where we'll start, going through till 10.24. Let's ask God to help us. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for giving us your Word so that we know the wonderful, delightful, glorious news about the Lord Jesus Christ. Please delight us all the more today with who he is and what he has done for us, that we may live our lives in his service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is uh, Mission Sunday. It's come around again. It feels like only yesterday was Mission Sunday last year, doesn't it? The years are getting uh, faster. For those of you who are visiting, let me just quickly explain again. You've already seen it a number of times, but Mission Sunday, Mission Month. Uh, as a church, we support various missionaries, both locally and also overseas. Uh, 13 mission partners at the moment, as you've seen here today. We support our mission partners. We pray for them as a church. Also in our Bible studies, each of our Bible studies has a mission partner that we, uh, that we try to contact and pray for. Uh, but also each year, we set aside one month. And in our Sunday gatherings, we focus special attention onto our mission and our missionaries. Uh, so we hear interviews like we've seen today from the Wongs. Uh, our missionaries are involved in our services. I think that's been a really exciting new thing we've done this year, don't you? That we've seen them pray and read the Bible. They've been able to do that for us. Uh, but also as part of Mission Month, we collect money for our missionaries. So the way, way the Presbyterian Church works, it's very narrow in terms of the kind of missionaries that you're allowed to support through a normal church budget. A number of our missionaries wouldn't qualify, particularly under the Presbyterian rules. And so uh, what, we do, what, we, what you have to do is support the missionaries through what's called a special collection. And so that's what we've done now for many years. We have a special collection each year, and that's what Mission Sunday is about. Last year, of course, we collected more than $160,000. It's very exciting and uh, by God's grace, I pray that we'll be uh, collecting the same or more this year. The question I want to ask today, though, is this. Uh, why? Why have anything to do with missionaries in the first place? Why have a mission month? Why have a mission Sunday? Why bother listening to the stories of people far away in other countries? Why bother hearing prayers from Gordon when they're probably here with us right now. Why, why would we give our hard-earned money to support missionaries? I mean, they don't bring any obvious benefit to us. They don't bring any obvious benefit to our church. So, so why Mission Month? Well, I reckon our passage today gives us what is, I think, a really inspiring answer to that question. Pretty much all commentators agree that Luke chapter 9, verse 51, is a key turning point in Luke's gospel. It's a key turning point because now Jesus begins one final journey. It's a journey to Jerusalem, a one-way journey to the cross. Luke chapter 9 and verse 51. Have a look with me. Luke chapter 9 and verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven... So we're getting towards the end here. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The time is set. The clock is ticking. There's a real urgency now. But in the first scene, we see again that the disciples have still got a lot to learn. We saw it in story after story last week, didn't we? That they were all concerned about who's the greatest. They were all concerned about uh, earthly, rich, earthly influence, earthly power, earthly riches. Uh, they, 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 but Jesus was saying it's not about earth, it's about heaven. 
He was saying, on earth, expect persecution. Remember the J-curve. He said to his disciples, you need to, you need to love your enemies, bless those who persecute you, pray for those who mistreat you. But as we head off in this very last journey to Jerusalem, we see they still don't get it. And so when they face opposition from Samaritans, the disciples want to call down fire from heaven on them. Verse 52. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. Not a great start, really, is it? As Jesus heads along the road, he starts to talk to some people about discipleship. But the fact is, things are urgent now. Jesus is on a one-way trip. That means there's going to be nowhere on earth for followers to live. It means there's no time to wait around anymore to go and sort out your affairs. Uh, it, means it means there's no turning back. It is now Jerusalem or bust. Verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go, wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Nowhere to live on this trip. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. No time. 61, verse 61, still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus is on this last journey to Jerusalem. Now this is going to be, therefore, the last chance for the towns on the way to hear about the kingdom of God, the last chance for them to, to meet Jesus in person. There's, there's this urgency, and Jesus feels the sense of urgency. There is so much that needs to be done. And so what he does, he gathers together 72 of his disciples, and he sends them out in front of him to the places where he's going to go to, to prepare the people, to, to, to prepare the people for what, what is going to be his final visit. Jesus sends them off, and he asks them to pray. To pray that, that God will raise up even more people to help. Chapter 10 and verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus says it's going to be tough. You're like lambs among wolves. You're not terribly well prepared yet. And you're going to face opposition. But there's so much to do. There's no time for elaborate preparations. There's no time to find the best accommodation. There's no time to hang around in any places where you're not welcomed. You just need to trust Jesus, rely on Jesus to provide, and get out there and tell as many people as possible. The kingdom of God has come near because the king is coming to visit you. Verse 3. Go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. 
If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there. Eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. And Jesus then talks about what's going to happen to the towns who reject the disciples and reject Jesus when he comes. And he says, he says it'll be worse for them than the enemies of God in the Old Testament, places like Tyre and Sidon and Sodom. Jesus himself, the king, is coming to, to reject the emissaries, to, to, to reject the people who are preparing the way. That's to reject Jesus himself. And to reject Jesus himself, well, that's to reject God. It is to reject God, and that is an eternally bad decision. So verse 12, talking about the towns that reject the disciples, verse 12. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Remember Sodom with all the fire raining down from heaven? Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. These are places that, uh, that Jesus is visiting on the way. For if the miracles that were performed in you had performed in, been performed in Tyre and Sidon, Old Testament enemies of the Jews, had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, another town that Jesus is going to, will you be lifted to the heavens? No. You'll go down to Hades. He says to the disciples, verse 16, whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. And so the 72 head off. And it, it seems like things go well. Seems like it's successful. They're not harmed. They are provided for. They are able to drive out demons and heal sicknesses. They're well received and they come back buzzing with excitement. And Jesus says, you are part of something wonderful. You are part of the defeat of Satan. You are part of the establishment of the kingdom of God. But at this point, Jesus says something very important. Jesus says something very important. He says... I don't want you to get carried away with earthly success. don't want you to get carried away with any power or authority or influence you might have. The thing to be most joyful about, the thing that should inspire you and motivate you, the thing that you should be most deeply thankful for, that you should rejoice in, is having your own name written in heaven. Being part of God's eternal kingdom. Verse 17, 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And so I think it's a critically important verse. It's a memory verse, really. Chapter 10, verse 20. 
Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It's important because it gives, it gives the motive. Why do people serve Jesus? Sure, people have lots of motives to serve Jesus. Maybe you do it because, uh, um, because of your friends and, and community or because it's what's expected from your family. Those are all fine reasons in one sense. Maybe you serve Jesus because of uh, the fact that you have influence and, and power. I remember at Bible college one time there was a guy in my, in my class at college and he had six kids and he was asked, why do you want to be a minister? He said, it's the only time anybody would ever shut up for half an hour and listen to me. Um, maybe there is some possibility of power, influence, or, or maybe even there's money to be made in serving Jesus. I mean, that's how I get my money. Friends, history is littered with people who have served Jesus because of the power and influence and earthly gain that they get from it. Everywhere from ordinary Christians through to Presbyterian elders through to the, the Pope of Rome. It's all about earthly authority, earthly influence, earthly power. And even today, even Today, in the very present, there's a crisis in Australian Christianity. We can't find ministers anywhere. There's going to be something like 40 Presbyterian churches, about one in three, one in four Presbyterian churches are going to have no minister in the next five to five years. Why? I suspect because ministers don't have the respect and power and influence that they used to have. Tiger parents don't say, oh, I'd love you to be a doctor or a lawyer or a Presbyterian minister. <laughs> Doesn't happen. Friends, here is the foundational reason to serve Jesus. Here's the bedrock reason. Because you have been saved from hell and you want other people to be saved from hell. You know, this is so important that if you want to become a Presbyterian minister, you actually have to answer this question. This is a question that is asked of people who want to be Presbyterian ministers. It's one of the ordination vows. You're asked this question. Our zeal for the glory of God, love for the Lord Jesus Christ, and a desire to save souls, and not worldly interests or expectations, your great motives and chief inducements to the work of the holy ministry. Sorry, it's old-fashioned language, but did you get it? Is it about Jesus and eternal life, or is it about what you get out of it on earth? The most valuable thing, Jesus is saying here, the most fundamental thing to rejoice about, the, the, the great motive and chief, chief inducement to serve him is having your own name written in heaven. And Jesus goes on to talk more, to, to, to delight more, to rejoice more in what God has done and is doing through him. He turns to God and he praises God for the success of the mission. That, those 72 people that he sent out, they weren't anybody special. They weren't um, religious leaders with theological degrees. They weren't high-powered executives. Or anything. They were just ordinary people. And yet God has graciously chosen to use them. Verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned 
and reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Jesus keeps on joyfully praising God, praising God that through him people are able to know God as their Father. He says only God really knows who he is, who Jesus is, and no one can know God unless Jesus reveals him to them. Jesus himself is the key. Verse 22. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he goes, he says, you guys have no idea how blessed you are. You have no idea how blessed you are, Jesus says, to know me, to know him. He says, kings in the Old Testament would wish that they were you. Prophets in the Old Testament would wish that they were you. You are so blessed. Verse 23. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Once again, can you see, here's the delight, here's the joy, here's the chief inducement and great motive to serve, the extraordinary blessing of knowing Jesus. All right. Can you see what's here then in this part of Luke's gospel? it's It's a turning point. We've started on a final journey Jesus is on his way now. One way, one way to Jerusalem and the cross. First scene, uh, the disciples still have a lot to learn. They still, they still think it's earthly power and glory. Let's destroy the enemies. They're not ready for persecution. <laughs> Second scene, it's urgent. It's urgent. The, Jesus is on this final journey. Nowhere to live, no time to wait, no turning back. It's just Jerusalem or bust. You want to follow him, you've got to get him behind, head to Jerusalem. Third scene, Uh, Jesus sends out the 72 disciples to to prepare for his visit on this final journey. He says it's going to be tough. But I'll tell you what, it'll be a whole heap tougher for anybody who rejects Jesus. If people reject the disciples, they reject Jesus. If they reject Jesus, they reject God himself. And then final scene, the disciples return. They're thrilled about what's happened, about being able to drive out demons and so on. But Jesus reminds them, the thing to be thrilled about is to have a place in his kingdom, to have your name written in heaven. That's the great motive. That's the chief inducement to serve him. And Jesus goes on to praise God that he would reveal the truth to people like the disciples. He says that he is the only way to know God. And he tells the disciples that that seeing him and hearing him, that's what people of the Old Testament longed for. They are so blessed to know him. Okay. Before we think about applying this passage to ourselves, we need to remember again, this is all happening on the other side of the death and resurrection of Jesus. I know you find Luke's gospel in your New Testament, but it's it's, it's actually Old Testament. it's, It's before the death and resurrection of Jesus. And lots of stuff is different now. Okay, Jesus is not on a final journey to Jerusalem anymore. It happened 2,000 years ago. He's not on his way to die. He's been and gone. We're not on a one-way trip to Jerusalem. That's what it means. It's not what it means to follow Jesus anymore. And that means 
Well, it means it's fine to have a place to live. It means it's fine to bury your father. As long as he's dead. Um, <laughs> don't, don't bury him if he's alive, please. Um, our mission is different to this mission in Luke chapter 10. Uh, it's not about preparing Jesus to visit them anymore on a final trip. No, no. Um, it means it's fine for a missionary to carry a purse or wear sandals. Preferably if it's a bloke, I would have thought. Don't know about a bloke with a purse and sandals, especially sandals with socks. Backpack and sneakers, it's fine to go with a backpack and sneakers if you're a missionary overseas. But, but you get the idea, don't you? This tells the story of what happened to Jesus on his final journey to the cross. And we've got to understand it in that context. And some things are different now. Now Jesus has died and risen again. Things are different. Now we're saved. We're saved by trusting Jesus alone. And now mission is not preparing for Jesus on a final trip. Now mission is, is preparing people for what he did on that final trip to Jerusalem. It, it's preparing people to put their faith in him, to trust in his death and resurrection. Okay, well... It's different. We're on the other side of the death and resurrection of Jesus. But still there is plenty here. There is plenty here that is still true. Plenty here that is still true for us as Christians. First and foremost, it is still true today that people can only know God through Jesus. You cannot know the Father except through the Son. If you reject Jesus today, you reject God. That, that's big, isn't it? It's big if uh, you're talking about Hindu people in India. It's big if you're talking about Muslim people in Morocco. It's big if you're talking about Buddhist people in China. If they reject Jesus, they are rejecting God. There is no way for them to know God as their father except through Jesus. To reject Jesus means an unbearable judgment, a woeful eternity. The only way to have your name written in heaven is through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. It's incredibly significant for the world, but it also means that for you and me, knowing the Father through the Son is the greatest privilege that we could ever have. There's something for us to rejoice in, something for us to delight in. We're not going to go to hell. We're going to go to heaven. That's where our names are written because of what Jesus has done for us. That's something to delight in. And it's something to motivate us, isn't it? It's something, to, it's something that the world needs to hear. We should urgently tell the world the harvest is still plentiful, as Jesus says here. The laborers are still few. Like the disciples, we should be asking God to send out workers. Like the disciples, we should, be, we should be encouraging workers to go out into the harvest field. Like the disciples, we ourselves would be share, should be sharing the good news, bringing our great delight to this world under judgment. Ourselves and by supporting mission. Which brings us back to the original question and the reason why we have Mission Sunday. My friends, there are lots of good reasons to have Mission Sunday, and I'm convinced that our missionaries are all well worth our support. A few people have asked me over these last few weeks, how did we choose our missionaries? Why do we choose the particular missionaries that we have? Uh, the answer is, they are faithful people whom we know. 
Um, many of the missionaries are very well known to us. Dan and Megan, you all know. They come to church with you every single week. Um, Stuart and Gail Johnson were part of this church. Stuart was an elder of our church. Um, the Falls and the Wongs, our, their parents are here in church with us. Uh, Vijay and Suchitra were part of our church for years. Uh, Rebecca and Elizabeth were on staff here. Sarah was a student here. Many of us have met uh, Meredith and heard from Meredith. These are faithful people. We know them. And we know they are committed to serving Jesus and we know they are committed to sharing the gospel and we know that theologically they're where we want them to be. Also, we've chosen these missionaries because they're involved in strategic ministry. Some of our missionaries are taking the gospel into our local schools. That's vital, isn't it? That is vital. So many Australians will never hear about Jesus unless they hear about him in SRE at their school. Some of them are taking the gospel to, to university campuses. Again, it's vital, isn't it? Many of us, I myself, was converted at university. I can testify to the strategic uh, importance of university ministry. Some of our missionaries are sharing the gospel in areas where there are very, very few Christians. We've just heard about the Wongs in Japan, Elizabeth in the Middle East, Meredith in North Africa, the Darudas in Italy, Igal in Israel. This is a slight exaggeration, but there are so few workers there. People are not going to hear about Jesus unless we send our missionaries to those particular countries. Some of our missionaries are in the most populous and strategic nations in the world, Indonesia. 100 million people straight above us in Australia. China, India. I mean, can you imagine what would happen to this world if there was revival in China and India? That would change everything, wouldn't it? I'm convinced that our missionaries are well worthy of our support. They're known to us. They're in strategic ministries. They've been carefully chosen. But friends, I reckon that here in this passage today we see an even deeper motivation a deeper motivation to support missionaries, a deeper motivation ourselves to share the gospel, a deeper motivation to have Mission Month and Mission Sunday. Now, as many of you would know, it seems people know my life better than me if you follow Kamalina on Facebook because everything that ever happens in my life seems to get Facebooked. Um, as many of you would know, um, a few weeks ago, my son got engaged. As you can see from this photo, Joel's fiancée, Rachel, was delighted that uh, he would offer uh, him uh, for her to be his wife. She said yes. And then what do you reckon she did with her news? What do you think she did? What, what did she do with her delightful news? Straight away, she started telling people. Straight on the telephone, she told her family, she told her friends... Uh, later, Joel and Rachel and Rachel's family came over to our place. Uh, Joel and Rachel shared their delightful news again. Everyone at our place was thrilled. And again, what do you reckon they did? What do you reckon they did? They all shared their delightful news. It was weird, I have to say. It was actually quite weird to watch a whole group of people all sitting around in a room, not talking to each other, but all on their smartphones, <laughs> right, doing Facebooking or Instagramming or whatever it was that they were doing. I wasn't. I don't have a smartphone. But they, they were all sharing their good news with all of their followers or friends or whatever they're called, all those people, right? And, and they were all giggling with each other about the emojis or whatever it was they were getting in response, however it is people communicate with each other nowadays. Friends, it's a natural reaction, isn't it? It's a natural reaction when you delight in something. You don't keep it to yourself. You can't help yourself but share the good news. 
So friends, if you really get this passage from Luke's gospel, if you get what Jesus is on about here, I reckon you won't be able to help yourself. If you grasp how blessed you are to know the truth about Jesus, if you grasp how superb it is that Jesus could bring you into a relationship with God as your heavenly father, if you can truly rejoice, like Jesus says here, that your name is not written in hell, but in heaven, if you truly know what it is to delight in Jesus, you're not going to be able to help yourself but share the good news and you will be thrilled to give big to our missionaries, our missionaries who are spending their lives sharing this delightful news with our world. Why Mission Month? What's our motivation? Well, here's the bedrock answer. I think it's an inspiring answer, don't you? A beautiful answer. We do mission because we think Jesus and the message about him is just so delightful. We think we're so blessed to know Jesus. We can't help ourselves. We're thrilled to to, to let everyone in the world know this glorious message. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for your incredible, wonderful, beautiful mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would write our names in heaven by your sheer grace. Father, would you help us to delight in this, to understand this, and pray that this would motivate us to live our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray for our missionaries. We thank you so much for them. Help them to delight in their salvation and to share the message faithfully. We pray in Jesus' name.